Right, good morning. The Bible reading this morning from 1 Timothy 1, and this is verses 12 to 17. Paul writes, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer, and a persecutor, and a violent man. I was shown mercy, because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here, is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst, but for that very reason I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Well, it's my privilege this morning to unpack for us just briefly uh, what it is that we have just seen happen before us. We've come to a special moment, a special day in the life of our church. It's a day of celebration. And we celebrate uh, membership amongst God's people, membership of God's church. That's baptism. That's what baptism sign uh, symbolizes, belonging into God's people. And affirmation is where mums and dads have made uh, those commitments for children when they're younger. Uh, affirmation is that opportunity for those uh, younger people to stand up, and older people, I suppose, if they wanted to, uh, and declare that those promises that, they have, uh, that were made on their behalf are actually ones that they are owning. We're going to explore this from the passage that Val just read for us, uh, briefly under three headings. Good enough, good news, and good life. So that's for you to let uh, to know uh, where we're going. Now let me tell you up front, we're going to spend most of our time, or the bulk of our time, in the first point. So don't freak out once we get through that, okay? Good enough. I don't know what you thought as you saw what happened this morning. It looked perhaps a little bit like an award ceremony. Yes, you know, there were, it was up front, there were speeches. We've created a little, a bigger podium to bring people on. There's presentations, there were certificates. What were we presenting? Well, we were celebrating admission to the ranks of the saints, weren't we? You'd be thinking, okay... These are the special people, aren't they? These are the uber-Christians, the best and the brightest. Can 
Can I just say, if you thought that, you probably weren't paying attention. You know, the best and the brightest? Really? You know, that Stephen guy. Like... I did ring him yesterday and ask his permission to say that. (laughs) I don't normally get nervous up front, but I'm aware that I may have offended you. I'm sorry. It was done with permission. We've met those six people. Let's meet once more. This is the Apostle Paul. And for many, you'd think of this guy as the uber-Christian. That's why he's got the dinner plate around his head. Because that's what uber-Christians have. Perhaps you've heard of this guy. Uh, In 1992, a guy called Michael Hart wrote a book called The 100 Most Influential People in History, in the World. Not just Western civilization, but in the world. And this guy, Paul, comes in at number six. That's fairly impressive, isn't it? Okay. After all, it's only Michael Hart. Someone else might have a different opinion, but there were reasons. This man made a significant impact on our lives, on civilization, particularly through the West of which we are a part. Impressive, hey? He must have been an absolute legend. And he wrote uh, a letter to his offsider. Uh, a guy by the name of Timothy. And we have it there in the Bible. Val read you just a few verses uh, from 1 Timothy. And Paul says this. He says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Now, if you just read that verse out of its context, you could, you could perhaps understand that Paul was saying something like this that Jesus thought I was good enough to become part of his crew. Now, you need to keep reading because we see Paul's qualifications in the next verse. Even though I was once a blasphemer, someone who trashed God and his reputation, a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent man. Okay. Jesus is picking membership, members into his community and people who will work as a part of his team. And he finds this guy who trashed his name and as recorded again in another book of the Bible, in the book of Acts, this man, before he becomes a Christian, he actively hunts down and murders Christians. How could you have him how does he become good enough to be in god's service and you could ask the same questions now i've known some of these people one of them for a long time uh some of them for slightly almost as long brie i think i've known you for almost 15 years uh others a little bit more recently luna's probably the latest to add to that collection (laughs) but that's not her fault okay Stephen and lauren you know you know but anyway, none of them would describe, you'd describe them as blasphemers, persecutors, and, and violent people. But you know what? They have good days, don't they? But they do have bad days, yes? Those of you who share households with them, yes? You know this. Maybe parents, friends, you're here. Okay. 
they're, they're, they're lovely, we love them, but they're far from perfect, aren't they? They're far from perfect. Are they good enough? Are they good enough to become part of God's family? Are they worthy to receive eternal life? So that leaves us with a question. How good is good enough? For a lot of people, we can sort of think, think of life kind of like a balanced scale. And you put all your good stuff on one side and all your bad stuff on the other, and you're hoping that it balances. Or maybe you're actually hoping that the good stuff is slightly further down, more on the good side than the bad side. But you know what? That's not how the Bible, that's not how God sees things. Let me read you from another book that the Apostle Paul wrote, the book of Romans. He says this. He says, there's no one righteous that's right with God. Not even one. There is no one who understands, all, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have begun, together become worthless. There is no one who does good. Not even one. So if life was like that balance, there would be not one person who would make the grade. The Apostle Paul, no. Lara, Beck, Luna, Stephen, Brianna, Lauren, no. Cameron, no. Matt, no. Take your pick. No one. There is no one righteous. And you might be thinking, perhaps you're new to this whole Christian thing, or you kind of know Christians and you know a bit about it. You kind of think, what do you mean? This is the Apostle Paul talking about us, talking about you. What's he mean? Because, you know, I'm not that bad. And really, to tell you the truth, whose opinion matters anyway? I did a bit, bit of surfing and I found this. Good enough is the new perfection. Okay, that's a nice little motto, isn't it? But try telling that to the teacher when they've given you an F on the test and say, no, 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 good enough, that's an HD. Or to the cop who pulls you over. It's an 80 zone and you're going 120. No, 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 no. I tell you, it's good enough. It's okay. We don't get to set the standard. It's not about what we think of ourselves. It's about what God thinks of us. He's the judge, and it's his opinion that matters. But some of us, we, we don't pretend. We're under no illusions. Maybe we walk around day by day with that real sense of unworthiness. Okay, it's no surprise that the Bible comes out and says what our conscience says to us the whole time, and maybe what we think everyone else around us is saying is, there is no one righteous. But the Bible says this, if you, Lord, kept the record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness. If it was all just about tallying rights and wrongs, goods and bads, being good enough, the Bible tells us that none of us, we have a baptism of no one. No one is in God's kingdom. This is where the good news comes in. 
Paul continues. He says, the grace of our Lord was poured on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Now, I want to nail down onto one word, and that is grace. Grace is not just something you say around the dinner table if you're part of a kind of a more traditional religious family. Grace is a word that means gift, undeserved favour, something that is unearned, freely given. And if you want to understand what you've seen today, and if you want to understand Christianity, you need to understand this word. Because at the heart of Christianity is grace. If you don't get grace, you don't get Christianity. You don't get Jesus. Grace tells us that although all of us fall short, there is no one righteous, not even one. Although none of us can pay back the debt. None of us can strive by our own effort to be good enough. That God offers mercy and forgiveness to us freely. How does he do it? Next verse. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Paul's saying, put out your highlighter, highlight it, underline it, put it in bold. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Sinners is not really a a popular term with us, really, is it? It conjures up a lot of bad images, maybe of people scolding you, but the Bible has lots of ways. It talks about sin. And the one that comes through in this passage is, I think, really, really helpful, particularly in our modern society. Paul speaks of Jesus as the king. To the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honour and glory forever and ever. Amen. God is king. So what is sin? Sin is rebellion. We can think of sin as, you know, breaking a bunch of arbitrary rules. But here the Bible is talking about sin in terms of rejecting the rule of God. That God rightly rules and it is us saying, we don't want you to be the boss. It's not so much primarily about what we do. It's about where our allegiance lies. It's not so much about action. It's about orientation. It's about where our allegiance lies. The Bible teaches us that God rules us because he is our creator. But we, the creatures, the created, reject his rule. Sin, one Christian writer said, is when we put ourselves where only God should be. But salvation is where God puts himself, where only we should be. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He lived the life that we should have lived. He lived in perfect obedience. He embodied the life that God calls all of us to live in love, 
in truth, in holiness. He lives the life we should have lived and then he dies the death that we should have died in our place. Rejected by those he came to save. You might know the story of his trial where the people there at Jerusalem shouted out, we have no king but Caesar. We don't want this man. We don't want him to rule. The Lord Jesus was crowned, not with gold, but with thorns. And his rule was announced to the world in the languages of the empire, Latin, Aramaic, Greek. This is Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, nailed to the cross where he suffered and died. And the Bible tells us that that's not some arbitrary death. That he did that for us. Brings us to our last point. This is done for us. How do we make it ours? Oh, I forgot to put that verse in. If you look at verse 16 in your Bibles, you would actually see that Paul uses the language of faith. The language of trust. Trust is not something that indicates anything other than dependence on someone else. If I say, uh, I'm going to go and pick up my family at 10 o'clock tomorrow morning. If they trust me, they'll be there waiting, doing nothing else. They won't have got into the other car and started driving. They won't be trying to get there by themselves. I've said, I'm going to do it, and they trust. Or not. God calls us to trust that Christ did pay that penalty, that Christ did stand in our place. And trust in this case is just the empty hand that is stretched out to receive. It's not us trying to pay God back. It's not us trying to earn, to be good enough. It is to receive freely what Christ did for us. And that's what we've celebrated. That's what baptism represents. That's what the affirmation promises in response to God's grace to us in Christ. That's what they were saying. We are accepted not because we are good enough, but because of what Christ himself did. So maybe this morning you're someone who uh, hasn't taken a step like the six that we've seen up the front, particularly the, the five adults. You haven't put your trust in Christ. Why on earth would you do it? Why would you do these things? I could say so many things and I'd encourage you to have conversations with those who you've come along to see be baptised or make that affirmation. But I want to say one thing. That through the gospel of grace, through the good news of the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus for us, he sets us free. If we go through life thinking that we're worthless or constantly trying to be good enough, we carry this burden. But the gospel, 
the message about Jesus' death and resurrection tells us that we have nothing to prove. That we don't need to be good enough. That we stand because of Christ, not because of our good works. We're accepted through his death and resurrection, not through anything that we do. It is a gift that we receive that is freely given, grace. Rebels can come home. We can come to our Father, who is the King. We can be loved, accepted, embraced. Because of him, we can come home. I want to leave you with a quote I came across through the week. Paul Tripp, a Christian author, says this. He says, you are called to take up your cross and follow Jesus. And all Christians are. But doing so doesn't buy his affection. He doesn't love you because you do this. The cross accomplished that. Let's pray. Father, what amazing grace you have given us. You've lavished upon us in the name of the Lord Jesus. Father, we do pray for those six making affirmations, being baptised, but also for all of us, that you would strengthen us to love and serve you. For those maybe, Father, who do not know you, show them the wonder of your grace. Let them know that in Christ you have given them the richest gift so that they as rebels might come home and they might know acceptance, love, security, hope. Father, we pray all of this in Christ's most precious name. Amen.